Look, it's a flood. It's a flood. It's flooding. Get away. Quick, we need to get to higher ground. Open the floodgates. So what are some things that you feel irrationally anxious about? Like like walking downstairs with like glass or taking a poop with a white hoodie? Um, first of all, I don't know what's wrong with y'all nasty ass people, but like there's no reason you should be afraid to accidentally poop on your hoodie. Pull your hoodie up a little bit. Pull your hoodie up. Um so Well my friend's hoodie is like really tight around the wrist, so my friend doesn't have the easiest time pulling up my his his sleeves. So <laughs> that just sounds like a bad tailoring problem. Let the let the cuff out a little bit, I guess. If that's an issue, I, I will let my friend know. Um, this might because be. I, I I am totally not anxious taking a poop with a white hoodie. This might be like a PTSD thing. Um. And like maybe like a homeowner thing, but like waking up and finding that the downstairs is flooded, um, like yeah, like walking onto wet carpet. Unex so let me just no, let me dial that down a notch and say unexpectedly walking onto something wet in bare feet. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, <laughs> unexpectedly, unexpectedly stepping in something wet when you're barefoot. Um, that's, that's totally an anxious thing for me. Uh, you know what's not, uh, what, how did you phrase it again? Irrationally anxious about? Yeah, what, I can tell you what is not an irrational fear I have. Um, that's getting jumped at the gym. Uh, <laughs> but maybe, but maybe it's because I don't go around provoking people to jump me in unexpected places. <laughs> So yeah, everybody's favorite rat got their ass kicked. <laughs> like stomped. Like, like like actually stomped. They stomped that nigga's ribs in. Jesse in Small the yeah, could not script it out, His delts was not ready for it. No. <laughs> uh, I said his delts. That's over. He's got all of these face tattoos, like yeah. prison face tattoos, and he snitches, and he gets his ass kicked in a public bathroom. Yo, first of all. Pre-footage was released after the fact where he was doing the Stairmaster in that weird like bubble coat that he has. Um, so he was like in shorts and the bubble coat trying not to get like noticed. And then I feel I like guess he, has to he do got that all noticed the time. because who the fuck works out in a bubble coat? Um, oh yeah, that's real inconspicuous, Takashi. Like, let me not be noticed by making myself stand the fuck out. Great all job, right, so does Tosh, do, All right, here, here's here's a here's a query. I pose a query. Does Takashi hear rat in public more or less than Mila Kunis hear shut up, Meg? <laughs> shut up, Meg. Is that more or less than Dave Chappelle here? I'm Rick James, bitch. Enjoy <laughs> <Draw> yourself. <laughs> I'm trying to think of some others. Uh, the point is, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Um, in this case, the prize was getting stomped the fuck out in the gym. Stop, stop snitching. Carmelo now, Anthony been telling you. Now... I don't normally advocate for the jumping of people, 
But when it comes to Takashi Six Nine, the level of exceptions are rising up and crashing through. What up, everybody? This is Doc and Ziggy, and we are the. Blood. That's right, your favorite weekly pop culture digest bringing you our pop perspective. To put culture in context. And make the mainstream make, make sense. sense. Because if we don't make sense, we don't make dollars. And how we try to make those dollars is by reminding you of some of the news that's happening around you and figuring out how it shapes the culture that defines you. And some things that have happened this week, Messi reached a historic landmark in soccer history. Some details about that uh, Kendrick Lamar, Matt Stone, Trey Parker movie came out. We have two soft move or boss moves for you. Uh, TikTok may, maybe getting banned? Will they, won't they? Utah's going back to 1984. And a whole bunch of other mess, but let's really get into what happened with this Takashi 6ix9ine situation. So um, over the right before the weekend, right? This happened, what, Thursday? Yeah, something like that. Um, footage dropped on the Internet that was just had everybody's timeline jumping. Uh, he probably has a Timberland. Takashi 6ix9ine, like the New York drill rapper, also known as the greatest snitch of all time, um, yeah. was finally, finally, you know, caught up with. So let's just remind everybody. In a way that some people might feel is really satisfying. Let's just remind everybody, what exactly did Takashi 6 9 snitch on who and for what? Uh, so he was being brought up on RICO charges, I think for association with the criminal organization that he was running with the uh, a local uh, blood set out there in New York. Uh, I think Nine Trey. He flipped. He turned coded, uh, turned all of his associates in, gave Buku details. He's He's got the paperwork, as T.I. would say. Uh, <laughs> Uh, CVS receipts long or sheets of paperwork this nigga gave. He was a um, Barksdale the whole time. Is back out here on these streets playing gangsta still. Um, you know, calling out people. You know, he recently went viral for his whole um, online beef with 21 Savage. I can see Takashi 69 getting Whack his ass kicked in a five below. Well, it hadn't happened yet, and this nigga is constantly dropping his location every time he goes live on Instagram or whatever, right? Um, well, this time, he didn't have to drop his location, uh, even though he still made himself obvious as fuck in that L.A. fitness. Where they, Look at his hair and his face. He's a walking Mr. Right, obvious. Right, uh, where they finally caught up with him in the bathroom. Um, and yes, they, uh, they, they wore Master Splinter out. Um, yeah. <laughs> the Timberland imprint is Bates. Dead ass. Now, some people are um, saying that this is, does not look good on the LA Fitness that this happened in because, you know, if this could happen to Takashi 69 it could happen to anybody. <laughs> right? Um, which is one. But really? One, which is why you should not go around inviting situations that might cause you to get stomped the fuck out in a gym. Also, also... 
Stop snitching. This does look bad on LA Fitness, though. <laughs> they was that 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 was total. First of all, they was filming in there. Which one? Um, I know, I know. Everybody does it, but you're not supposed to have your phones out in the bathroom, guys. You're not you're not supposed to have your phones out in the bathroom. Uh, but that's that's not the point. That's not the point. It's like you're not supposed to pee in the ocean. <laughs> The ocean. Hey, I hate to break it to y'all, but the warm spots in the ocean, it's piss. The ocean. It's piss. Um, yeah, no, the last place you would have thought that Takashi would have gotten, you know, this kind of justice <laughs> would be in the gym. Um, I would actually expect it more in a pile of piss. Or in a puddle of piss. Do you think that he would have a case if he decided to sue LA Fitness. <laughs> Absolutely, yes, right? Uh, right? They failed to provide security for him. Uh, is it LA Fitness's job? Because as somebody who goes to the gym, the people who work at the front desk do not look like they are ready to provide security. They are not, I'm not gonna say they don't use the gym equipment, but it's not like, they're bodybuilders, right? Yeah. It's not like when you walk into a gym, everybody there that works there is a power lifter or some kind of like MMA expert, right? Yeah. <laughs> like I went to get my hair cut earlier this month, maybe last month, and the person at the front desk had some fucked up hair. That's actually kind of wild though, but <laughs> I think that's a little bit more wild then because we've all had the gym teacher who doesn't look like they like do anything physically active i'm talking like this person had their hair grown out yeah and then just took a three over top their entire that's, head see that's my point that's wild right and like but you work no with, tapering like, just a three you work with stylists and stuff right that's, yeah that's crazy to me that's like seeing somebody at the dentist with fucked up teeth yeah right <laughs> you think somebody would say something right <laughs> yeah no We've all had the unfit gym teacher, right? Like, that gets winded just like watching you run track. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how do you qualify it's their for health, this? It's the health teacher, but they needed them to like teach one other class. It's like a scientist. It's like a fucking biology teacher that's a flat earther. Like, how do and I? And you wonder why all of the heavier kids are in the same PE class? <laughs> yeah. Like, how do I take anything you say seriously? People are like, what do biology and flat earth have anything to do with each other? And I'm just like, I don't know. I don't trust anybody that believes in flat earth. I just don't. <laughs> I don't care how good they rap, B.O.B. The Dallas Mavericks put their playoffs <laughs> in one. Damn. Oh, man. So, uh, with that being said, you know, um, Will Smith isn't the only person who's been shamed nationally this year. Well, let's uh, talk about well, I guess, no, that happened. Technically, that happened last year. But now um, Will Smith and Takashi 69 can start a support group online for men who have been shamed on the internet. Ooh, Will's got it bit twice. Does Chris Rock get to join the support group, or no? Will he? Will he not? Because so you, he didn't get shamed because he got slapped. No. Right. So 
Like, we all kind of agree that Chris didn't really do anything wrong. I'm, and Chris even said he doesn't think Will was mad at him. I'm deconstructing my own joke here at this point, and this is why people give us thumbs down on Pandora. Also, <laughs> people give us thumbs down on Pandora. Can you believe that, guys? It's it's That's a shame. I don't know what is wrong over there. Um, uh, here's my theory. Here's my theory. But instead of giving us thumbs down, you could, you could... Fucking just DM me, pussy is. <laughs> Yo, what's your problem? Scared, hiding behind the anonymity. <laughs> we want all the smoke. We'll walk out breathing clouds. <laughs> don't be. Don't let the fact that I got bodyguards stop you from running up. It's like, nah. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, well, if you run up on me at Gold's Gym because you don't like the podcast, just know that you will catch a barbell to the face. I'm not. I'm not Takashi Six Nine at all. I will fuck you up. <laughs> I will exchange verbal jabs with you. <laughs> he got a chain whip in the trunk. Don't let him fool you. That's also true. Take this. <sighs> Such a stylish weapon. Anyway, so if we're talking about a national <laughs> disgrace, let's talk about somebody with national praise in Argentina. In Argentina news. Lionel Messi. Oh. In football news, scored his 800th career goal. 800th career goal. Eight. So 800 goal. How how long has Messi been playing? So let me just give you some very. Yeah, I was gonna say. Can you put that in context? He's played 1,017 games. Okay. He's got 800 goals, and he has 353 assists. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. 1,153 points. I'm trying to figure out. You said total 10, 17 game, I 800 goals, 1.13 points produced per, per game, game. If you have Messi, okay, then why didn't you just say that instead of letting? I me was doing it? the lead up, okay, setting the stats up <laughs> because the points are your goals plus assists. So if you do the 11.53 over 10.17, you get 1.3 points per game. Now let me put that in context. Yeah. The Premier League average goals for both teams scored per game is 2.65. So if you have Messi, he's worth three-fifths of an offense. <laughs> that's, okay, That's those are some serious numbers. <laughs> so when people say Messi is the GOAT, that's like going into an NBA game and the total score of the two teams is 200. That's a low-scoring game, by the way, in the NBA. <laughs> Messi would have scored 84 of them every game. Every game. Hey, listen, that's that's goat status, right? Like that's that's pure reliability right there. And um, this is right after he won the World Cup in football. Yeah, they love him in Argentina. He's like a walking god in Argentina. Well, I mean, it's understandable at this point, right? Like. The way you broke those numbers down, you can see why. Like, I don't know if there is any celebrity in the world that is more famous in their home country than Messi in Argentina. I think that might be a fair statement. Maybe BTS in Korea, like maybe Jordan. No, Messi is big. Everyone in Argentina loves Messi. Jordan's just famous. I feel like that's easy to say now, but in retrospect, though, like when you look at the impact that Jordan yeah, had, yeah, everyone, everyone did want to be like Mike. They I made mean, a movie about it. <laughs> right? I saw it twice in theaters. 
Like Mike? Like Mike. I saw it twice at theaters. So are you going to go see the Nike Air movie then when it comes out April 5th? I think I probably will go see this movie. I do love me some Tweedlebee and Tweedledam. And this week's, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? <laughs> I don't did No shout out to Jay Leno. <laughs> no. Fuck Jay Leno. Uh, I, uh, his garage, though. <laughs> Nike, Ben Affleck, and Matt Damon have made a movie called Air about the pursuit to get Michael Jordan to join the Nike team and kind of propel Nike into the sports franchise that we recognize it as today. Right. Yeah. Uh, the way the trailer like sets it up is, you know, Nike is competing with like Converse is the top sports. Yep. Uh, Converse was athletic because, brand. Yeah. Larry Bird and Magic Johnson were both signed to Converse. Right. Um, so this is the they story. They made very cheesy rap commercials together. Uh, of Phil Knight and Sonny Vaccaro um, trying to sign Michael Jordan to this this sneaker deal. Like the, the sneaker deal of all to end all sneaker deals. So right? you know how they mentioned in the trailer they were selling shoes out of the trunk? Yeah. Earlier in the, the decade, I think in 1980, Nike went to pitch to Magic Johnson the same idea. Yeah. And he was like, You think that's nah. going to be in the movie? I mean, they mentioned it in the HBO uh quote unquote docu-series it's highly inaccurate um, it's entertaining as fuck and yeah. they did get that right where he the the nike guys approached magic johnson when he was a rookie and he was like nah magic now says that it's his biggest financial regret of his entire life because it was a, a eight i think it's he said eight billion dollar loss because he didn't take that deal you think Magic feels the same way Blockbuster feels about not buying Netflix. Wait, that was a thing? Yeah, Blockbuster totally. For like two million. They had the opportunity to buy Netflix for like two million. <laughs> um, so we already said that this movie has Matt Damon and Ben Affleck in it. It's also got Jason Bateman, Viola Davis, um, Chris Marlon Tucker, Wayans. Marlon Wayans. It's the cast is stacked. They had to throw right. a huge check at Chris Tucker to get him out of his hobbit hole. <laughs> and also, they're keeping who is playing Jordan like air fucking tight, right? Like, there's the you that we both watched the trailer. There's like no, like, not even like a peak at a bald head. Uh, <laughs> not a shot of a hoop earring. No. Jordan came into league with hair. <laughs> I don't think he shaved his head until 1991. It was like reverse Samson. He got rid of all of his hair, and then he won his first championship. Listen, the trailer is uh, completely sans Jordan. There's no mention of him. I haven't looked up the IMDb, but apparently the movie has a 100% rating on Rotten Tomato. Right? So it's fresh. Certified. Fresh. It will be debuting April 5th, uh, so that's like... The week after this drops, like that Wednesday, I think, or Tuesday. Either way, coming soon. <laughs> after you hear this podcast. You know what this actually gives me feeling of? I feel like this is going to be, like, cinematically very close to The Wolf of Wall Street. I was going to say, it gives me Moneyball vibes. I feel like it's right in between Moneyball yeah. and Wolf of Wall Street. Um, it's Yeah, it's definitely that... Um, based on a true story like which is hyper... all in the same cinematic universe 
Ben Affleck has like eight different roles in this cinematic universe. That's funny. I I feel. See, here's my thing, right? If, Viola Davis does too. <laughs> this has to be a pretty interesting story in order to like encompass the cast that it was able that or you know Nike just threw like mad money at this project and was well, like. I mean, Nike's story is like pretty crazy like the whole nike swoosh was just like something they paid a college intern or like a college student a couple hundred bucks like uh, 200 bucks yeah and they came up with the nike swoosh yeah and they literally were selling shoes out of their like car trunk and then you know they saw that like their corporate offices of the trailer like there was an office but it wasn't great i'm interested right i mean the movie made the story look interesting enough now will it actually play out to be worth the amount of money it is for a movie ticket nowadays i mean i guess it's worth it so that we don't keep getting remakes and reboots and more like franchises but so one of the wildest things when you were telling me we were reading the article about this movie like before watching the trailer is apparently ben affleck plays cards with michael jordan (laughs) who the fuck is at that table I'm I'm sure it's definitely some wild people at that table. Um, Dennis Rodman. No, right? I'm thinking yeah. it's like people like not except for Charles Oakley. Charles Oakley is definitely at that table. But like I feel like it would be. I feel like when Dennis is in town, Dennis is definitely at that table. Bradley Cooper. You think Michael Jordan plays poker with ben Bradley? Affleck does. Oh, okay. And I could totally see Bradley Cooper, Ben Affleck, Michael Jordan. See and now we're now we're now we're switching up like the ta- like okay now I get where you're coming from right because if I'm thinking if it's Michael Jordan's table then Dennis is definitely at the table if he's in town. Right? Dennis is never in town though. He's like a mythological <laughs> creature. I feel like it would be like Bradley Cooper, Michael Jordan, Ben Affleck, Tiger Woods. You think Tiger Woods would regularly play poker with Ben Affleck? With Michael Jordan. Oh, with my... Okay, see, you keep switching it up. (laughs) How about we take a break? Welcome back. And welcome back. (laughs) Before we jumped out, uh, we were talking about uh, switch-ups. And... (laughs) Speaking of switch-ups... This is not a title shift. This is not a title shift. However, it is a total shift in normalcy. Um, Congress has unanimously decided on one on something. They are reaching across the aisle in a particular line of offense to take on TikTok. TikTok's clock is... I can't even do it. This is nothing new. They've been after TikTok since, like, you know, the Donald Trump administration. Yeah. Um, and Biden is just, you know, continuing the offensive lead. I know um, everybody's made this joke, but they're not using TikTok. They're using balloons. Ha uh, ha. TikTok is back in the news because their CEO, Shuzi uh, Chu, was recently on Capitol Hill um, testifying as to how TikTok is somehow more intrusive than any other social media app um, when it comes to data gathering. <laughs> I was out last night with my friend Mike. He was like, yeah, I don't have TikTok. He's, That's the one app I read the terms and conditions for. And I was like, nope. 
I don't I don't particularly see why TikTok is being targeted other than the fact that it is a Chinese app because like I said um if we if we can't be that far removed from the Cambridge Analytica scandal right and that happened with an American social media company the, TikTok's not that special you want to remind everybody of the cambridge scandal uh the cambridge, cambridge analytica, analytica scandal? scandal when facebook was discovered to have sold off its user data to the uh data firm cambridge analytica right that um then turned around and sold that data that they had accumulated from facebook to different advertising companies and not advertising companies but uh, political platforms and political administrations for their campaign usage and things like that at um, least those videos now say sponsored to shoesy choose point the ceo of tiktok uh tiktok doesn't really isn't really any different or unique in TikTok North America way. or TikTok overall? TikTok overall. Okay. Because they're not any different in the way or unique in the way that they mine user data, right? The issue here is the fact that the Chinese government has direct access to the TikTok user data because of the way the Chinese government has outreach into its commercial sector the way our commercial sector has outreach to our user data through uh its social media essentially what congress is, is afraid of is that the chinese government has access to tiktok's user data the way our private sector has access to our social media's user data um it's fine if we have it <laughs> right it's but our government doesn't right our government can't access that data unless it pays for it so by they, the way they will <laughs> so you know they i guess congress doesn't think it's fair that china doesn't have to pay for it like <laughs> they do there the other aspect of this that was brought up was the propaganda part because as we get closer to the 2024 election cycle, it is becoming increasingly concerning the way that our elections can be manipulated, right, and interfered with through social media, especially with the advancement in deep fake technology um, and AI generated content as we're seeing now. So. What we really gathered from watching the hearings, I don't know if you watched it, um, was more of the fact that our representatives have no idea how the internet or computers work. There was a whole lot of like... What uh, is an algorithm? Yeah. By the way, I just pulled up the definition from Oxford. An algorithm is a noun. A process or set of rules to be followed in calculations or problem-solving operations especially by a computer. So TikTok's algorithm is really fine-tuned, right? It's probably one of the most fine-tuned algorithms that these social platforms have to offer, right? And the way the user interface is designed is very slot machine rewarding in the fact that the endless scroll ability and the 15 to 3 minute delivery of most average TikTok length it, it 
hits the satisfactory nerves and that dopamine levels and those serotonin levels just right. Right, to keep I mean, let's kids about, glued to the screen. Let's think about the functions of TikTok that make it different. One, it starts playing the moment you open it. Yeah. Yep, there is no, like, there is no subtle easing into it. It is you are thrown right into content that is specifically tailored to keep you glued to the screen. Now, let's think about how easy it is to navigate. You can swipe it up or just tap it. Yeah, yeah, very simple user interface design. People probably think like, oh, that's not a huge difference. That's a huge difference. No, that's a, I'm, it's, it makes a huge difference when it comes to keeping you parked right there. And that's what a lot of uh, US representatives concerns is, especially with, kids when it comes to TikTok, right? It is, you know, and a lot of people will say that TikTok has had the um, same unfortunate effect that things like Fortnite have had. I've right? also noticed on TikTok, people will follow more readily off of a single post than on pretty much any other social media app that I have. Yeah. And a lot of the times it won't even be without people even looking at my profile or the pod's profile, like anything like that. It is definitely hard to ignore the impact that TikTok has had on the culture and the climate. Um, what did they say? It's like over 150 million users on average in the U.S. alone. And a lot of them being, you know, kids will say like 16 to 18, 16 to 19. Right. I'll tell you that. I don't scroll through TikTok as much as I use it to make content. You know, TikTok recently came under fire for a lot of the kind of content that its algorithm will push on people unwillingly and stuff like that. A lot of self-harm content. And we covered and this with uh, a little bit with Section 230 in Congress, where are social media companies going to be held liable for the things that their users post? Right. And that is all centered around the algorithm of how quickly YouTube can well, yeah. jump to something extreme. Was able I to even push, did an yeah, experiment yeah. live using Wikipedia, how long it would take me to get to Hitler from Tom Holland, and I think it was four. Um, so with all this, you know, TikTok and social media discussion going on in Congress right now, um, I can tell you that a, different states are taking measures to kind of uh, tailor back some of the influence that social media is having on their culture and their climate. And one of those states is Utah. Um, Utah's Republican Governor Spencer Cox just signed a bill into effect on March 23rd, right, that would prohibit kids under 18 from using social media between the hours of 10.30 p.m. and 6.30 a.m. without the permission of a parent, right? I think the bill in effect actually bans social media use from under 18 years old without uh, parental permission in general, right? Um, specifically during the hours of 6.30 and 10.30. The bill would seek to prevent tech companies from luring kids to their apps using their addictive features 
like we talked about the endless scroll feature, um, the constant notifications, all of those things are actually tailor-made and designed to mimic, um, you know, slot machines and the, the effect that gambling has on people. Who was it that just came? Was it, I don't think it was the CDC, but somebody just came, oh, I think it was uh, Facebook and Instagram themselves had that leaked internal memo that said that their research showed that Instagram was harmful to the social and mental health of teen their teen female user base. Hey everybody, <laughs> leaked internal info, keep that in mind. That'll be relevant later. The like main social media companies like Facebook and Google have yet to kind of, or have yet to give a statement about the law that it's uh, as it is, but it also doesn't go into effect until next year, I think March of next year. So they have time to prepare for this. But what do you think about laws like of this nature? Do so, you think this is a good idea? I have based two on... structure questions to start off with. Yeah. So can a kid sign up for a social media account themselves? Signing up for social media account is as easy as signing up for a fake email account. Yeah, um, so I'm thinking, like, what's to stop these kids to just say that they were born in, like, math, 2000? So, I guess... Or, uh, 2002. Right, um, so there's always that, one. Kids will be kids, and there's no way you're going to actually stop the kids from, like, getting onto social media. Although, I will say that China, <laughs> the home of TikTok, has laws in place that actually prevent their kids from being on social media for extended periods of time. Hey parents, your kids have been saying they were 18 or over to websites for a long time. Um, and I don't know how effective the Chinese ban on social media use is with their youth, right? But I will say that there is a tad bit of irony with this pushback, yeah. right? As TikTok is currently on trial as to why they should remain in the U.S. The, under the uh, capability that they're in the U.S. right now. Okay, right? so another thing I thought of is how would the parents even verify their kid's account? Um, I can tell you with the amount of like parenting apps that exist now, the amount <laughs> of uh, helicopter apps that exist now, the, the, that probably won't be a hard push your regular internet provider already has parental controls that allow you to set certain guidelines for certain devices in your house un that operate under your network. The parents can see the kids' messages? So, yeah, under this bill, parents, the app would have to provide a way that would allow for parents to see and access uh, the content and the messages that their children are like, doing I can understand so, seeing your kid's feed. I can get that. Their messages, that's fucked up. I, it, to me. I'm not a parent. Yeah, I was gonna say one, you're not a parent. Um, two, I'm gonna, I'm still there with you to a certain degree, right? I feel like at a certain age, there is a little bit of a violation of privacy there, right? Like, but that's also me speaking as a liberal parent. Right. And I'm, don't get it twisted. I'm not that liberal. Right. But I'm also not 
really about to be creeping through my son's messages but i do think that a parent should be able to access their messages if the need arises for do you want to go through des's dms when he's in high school no i absolutely, absolutely do not. not but i feel like if the situation arises i do feel like there should be some some kind of loophole that allows a parent access to a child's account Right. Yeah, if he comes into the house reeking of bleach and NyQuil, you should be concerned. Right? Like, I do think that social media should be dialed back for kids. I do not, I personally do not think that it is a healthy outlet for children. I believe that it sets them up with unrealistic expectations of life because it does it to adults <laughs> adults can't handle social media right i mean like fox news literally thinks twitter runs the world so with that Johnny being, trump's presidency kind of did no no even that like social media is a very extreme perspective on reality that's not how the social media, Facebook, your Facebook feed is not how the real world works. You're like the arguments that your close friends, your mutuals get into on the timeline. They would never have those in real life. Like <laughs> there would, they, as we said earlier, they do not want the smoke, but they will talk that shit from behind the computer screen. You wouldn't go up to a person in real life and call them up and a Maybe a Yeah. There's no actual risk of danger, right? There's no actual risk of real conflict. You can walk away from the conflict at any point in time because and it is so And put it in your needed. pocket because it's on your phone. Yeah. Children don't understand that, right? Like, children don't understand the impact of posting things on the internet. And how even though... Um, the the impact of something going viral feels like it lasts forever it, you know within the reality the span of that vi that viral fame is like it's short right like it it doesn't last the what do they say the flame that burns bright burns quickly yeah and kids kids don't understand that but it is also true to be said that things that are posted on the internet live on the internet forever. The other thing is people are just really bad at deciding what they want to argue over. Like uh, Kenny from I Am Nerd, shout out I Am Nerd. Check out the episode that we were on. Where we argued about the existence of the moon landing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that got heated. I felt like, like there was serious cognitive it wasn't, no, there. It wasn't, no. It didn't get heated. But what I'm saying is like me and Fraser we're able to walk away from that <laughs> that debate and still just talk yeah. about bullshit. Yeah, but kids can't do that, dude. But, um, no, like here's here's a uh, so what I was gonna say is Kenny was talk telling a story about he was talking to a coworker. Have you been watching The Last of Us? And the guy was like, Yeah, no, I haven't. I'm not really into like zombie movies or anything like that. And Kenny was just like, All right, you don't push back, just. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got into a Facebook argument, or I avoided a Facebook argument by basically doing that. Yeah. No, but you can't say that you enjoyed She-Hulk, right? Or somebody will pounce on you and tell and call you a social justice queer and, and like tell you that your taste in like media is shit. Because, or say that you like Harry Potter and then get everything thrown at you the other way. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, I and this. 
the, what is going on with social media and the culture right now is this big catch 22 because it can be a great source for bringing together communities that otherwise wouldn't have a voice or an outlet but the impact that it has at driving ignorance and propaganda as well is something that we can no longer ignore moving on to our next segment social media certainly has a way of shining a spotlight on many different deeds i need to know if this one deed is a soft move or a boss move moving on it's time for soft move or boss move We propose a situation or an event that happens in pop culture, and we need to determine if whatever happened is a soft move or, or a, a boss, boss move. move. And we actually have two this week, and they are both hip-hop related. Oh, yeah. You have two hip-hop related soft move or boss moves. I well, do. let's get to shaking. So, 50 Cent, rapper and entrepreneur, former his former employee stole $6.2 million from his liquor brand, Branson Cognac. After winning the lawsuit, 50 Cent is now seizing all of his assets, including properties, bank accounts, and cars. Quote, I need you out of my house by Monday, 50 Cent says. 50 then makes this caption on the post. I think I'm going to put epoxy floors in this place. I'm going to keep it and his family pictures around, you know, as a theme for the place. <laughs> so, on whose part... Are we asking the question of soft move or boss move? 50 Cent. And kicking him out and keeping his family pictures in the house? Not even 30 days notice, dog. Ah, all right. So, um, so the proletariat in me is going to be very conflicted with my answer, but I have to say that this is a boss move because, um, what the fuck? Yeah, no, absolutely. If I found out one of my employees was like stealing money from me to the tune of how much did you say? 6.2 million. 6.2 million. I mean, well, I guess if you're going to, you know, rob a bank, you wouldn't do it for, for 50 cents. <laughs> that yeah. That's kind of good. That was kind of a good one. Now, I, listen, I didn't give you the rib shot for nothing. So. I'm gonna like yeah, I'm gonna have to go boss move here, dog, especially keeping the family picture. The family pictures in there is like the ultimate like fuck you flex. What would be really a fuck you flex is adding the family pictures to the epoxy floor in the bathroom. Mmm. Even bigger boss move. Six months from now, offering the guy to rent the place. He's gonna, an Airbnb. You can come stay here for a night. Yeah, turn it into yeah, then turn it into an Airbnb, where different travelers and and, have, and fifty could just like install little signs throughout the place, telling the history of this family and how he yeah. fucked around and found out. Yeah, and vagabonds of the like, excuse me, different travelers and voyeurs of the like will get to come and piss on the floors of his family picture. It's like it's. It'll just be a trough. It'll all... <laughs> Delightful poetic justice, I would say. Boss move. Boss move. Although, in any other case, I'm not going to say I recommend stealing from your employer, but if you work for a major corporation that is totally has you insured as a liability, then... 
Would this be a boss move if anyone besides 50 did it? I plead the fifth. Uh, I don't I don't know because like if your boss is like fucking Elon Musk, then I totally right like, you know, I totally advocate for more than stealing pins from the office. But like, like your boss came here with fucking emeralds in his pocket. Fuck that guy. I'm um, also like 50 cent. You should know better. Like yeah. he will put anyone on wax. If, he want all the smoke, and he be walking out breathing clouds. If you're an Amazon worker who, you know, steals from the factory sometimes, yeah, fuck Jeff Bezos, dude. And I, I don't care that I'm on mic, like, saying that, because even though there's definitely a future where they could be potentially our overlords, right? But, oh, the whole, yeah, they're all secretly master reptilian race people. No, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't going there yet. I wasn't going there yet. Not yet? But, all right. but what I am saying is normally, in any other case, you work for Walmart, steal that pack of gum, nigga. <laughs> I don't know if I recommend you stealing $6 million worth of gum, though. In most cases, yeah, fuck the CEOs, fuck the corporations, uh, down with your, our capitalist overlords, and um, power to the people. Uh, but but in this case... The other soft move or boss move I have for you, Benny the Butcher is partnering with the app Temper. Now, here's the Temper? Post. How would you like to get... How would you like to explode your music career by getting a feature from Benny the Butcher on your next song? Whoa. This groundbreaking beats and feature package serves as your opportunity to get a feature from Benny the Butcher with commercial rights so you can create your track with him and release and monetize it on all platforms. Beats and feature package with a, <laughs> a promo feature from Benny the Butcher, huh? 40 industry quality beats from our award-winning music production team with commercial rights, so you're stacked with hit after hit. Okay, so I've heard of packages like that, um, especially like if you travel in the type beats uh, spectrum of YouTube, right? Like there are a lot of these beat factories that have, you know, different producers working for them that they can like wholesale beat packages to you. So that's not super new, but this added feature uh, aspect is a twist. What a twist! Take a guess at how much it is to get a feature from Benny the Butcher. Okay, so that's what I was gonna ask, but I'll go ahead and take a guess and say that uh, you said 40 beats plus a feature from Benny the Butcher. And I will give you qualifications. Get a pre-recorded 16-bar verse from Benny the Butcher of Griselda over two beats from the Hall of Fame three pack. Ah, uh, so it's not even. The verse was exclusively made by Benny for this opportunity. Was, was. So this verse has already been made. It's not even like it's gonna be custom designed or tailored to your song, right? It's just, these are factory. All right, Benny. Okay, go ahead, keep keep going. Give me more, uh, give me more specs. Oh, that's not Working with Benny is going to help you gain major credibility, massively increase your streams and followers, this is just increase more your up chances sale. of landing shows and carrying bigger collabs. With two pre-made, ready-to-go verses, these are like TV dinner verses that you about to get for, let me guess, 560 bucks. <laughs> way off dog oh my god is it more than that oh my god yes it oh is. okay all right so i low ended it because i was 
5,000? You're the fifth beetle with that one. 5,000. More than that? Yeah. Oh my god, for two verses? I guess, yeah, we are talking Benny, right? Okay, so this is this is prime buffalo we're talking about here. No disrespect to Benny the Butcher. I do not want that smoke. Um, Elon, Benny, we, we love you. Elon, fuck, fuck Elon Musk. I don't want no smoke with Benny the Butcher. Um, so, what? Like, fucking 14K? 25K. Are you serious? More than 25K. For, for two verses in, in 40 beats. How how much? $40,000. Oh my God. <laughs> Listen, uh, know your worth, Kings. No disrespect to Benny. Um, that is, I'm going to have to go ahead and call that a boss move. Because, boss yeah, move. if you can charge those kind of prices and get away with it, that's like that uh, one fucking influencer who just got in hot water for charging ten thousand dollars for a dm on her merch page i do want to show you the layout of this website though uh that one turned out not to be real but you're saying this is entirely real you can get 40 beats 40 exclusive beats this is what the website looks like oh i do not like that oh i do not like that at all that is very like that's not even a Squarespace level layout, like template of a web page here. This is like so. This, this this screams they threw a giant check at Benny. This is like yeah, that was like a GoDaddy page uh, that that website layout looked like. It looked like a website that if you accidentally clicked a pop-up ad, you would get redirected to. Yeah, yeah, you would get malware. Uh, it looks like you would get malware from that website. So I don't know how. I'll clear my cookies. They. <laughs> I don't know how much of a check they threw at Benny, but it had to have been like their entire ad budget, right? Which is why he's charging like forty thousand <laughs> for these features. How many of these features do you think they're actually gonna sell for that price? I don't know how many aspiring hip hop DJs and artists have $40,000 to throw for 30 seconds of a Benny verse. I mean, listen, a lot of the, it's a lot of people. Also, I would ask, I'm like, so what tempo is the beat at that Benny is rhyming over here? That's what, okay, so that's where like my whole. (laughs) Like if he's rhyming in triplicates, that's like 20 seconds. Like. You knew, like, immediately when you said these verses were pre-recorded, right? I'm like, and for 40 fucking thousand, dog? Like, so this is Benny's song that I am featured on at this point because the verse is already predetermined, so I don't get to determine what the song is about. I just have to already go with whatever concept that he's delivered and come up with and, like, copy or cut and paste my also, shit around that. Also, if they're that. apparently over pre-recorded um, beats... You just gotta go on that song. This is something I feel like is very like specific to an avenue only hip hop could pursue. Like, actually, no. Do you, like, do you think that this is something that could be done in like rock, where you get like you could buy <laughs> a package to get a couple of, like pre-recorded like guitar riffs from Dave Grohl or some shit like that? No. We have tabs. Literally Google. Also, do you know how easy it is to write a song with power chords? 
garage rock exists for a reason, and that's because the people that make it have no idea what the fuck they are doing! And that's what makes it sound so raw, and that's what makes it sound so great, is that it's so bad! Speaking of the people who make things not knowing what the fuck they are doing, the pharmaceutical industry is having a big, big backup problem right now when it comes to the supply and demand of different pharmaceutical drugs. Um, uh, including but not limited to Adderall and dextroamphetamines. So all over the country right now, there's huge uh, shortages of all kinds of medicines, um, particularly... I'm not even kidding. It is like particularly Adderall and dextroamphetamine. Well, Adderall is like one that everybody is talking about. It's actually like a lot of oncology drugs, right? Um, so like cancer medications and things to treat people with like terminal illnesses yeah. and stuff. Like there's a lot, like there's a big shortage of a lot of those drugs. Manufacturing delays were to blame, but now because of the backlog of inventory that needs to be uh, fulfilled, there's a supply shortage. <laughs> Speaking of terminally ill, I just want to say, once I finally have my like clock ticking date, I'm going to try heroin once. Oh my god. I'm sure they'll be pumping you full of morphine at that point. But no, I want to try like real heroin. <laughs> so... As you mentioned earlier, another one of the big ones, or like when the I'm on my deathbed, is Adderall. Vizant, a uh, purchaser group, found that managing the drug shortages is costing U.S. hospitals over three hundred and sixty million dollars uh, at this point. So the U.S. economy is just continuing to hemorrhage money all over the fucking place. Um, and at this point, it is definitely going. Blah, blah, blah. The drug shortage across the nation is definitely going to cause casualties that are what some people might describe as unnecessary and uh, I mean, like, I was watching the Philip DeFranco show, and he was saying that with people getting unable to get their prescription medicines, they might turn to other alternatives, like people who have shortages on Adderall, I don't know, getting crystal meth instead. <laughs> That's that's what happened with the opioid epidemic. People who couldn't get their opioid prescriptions anymore on turned to buying heroin. Or on the other end of that, people who can't get their insulin because they have to ration it because the supply is short are spacing out when they take their insulin and that can have extremely deadly effects. It's like playing Russian roulette with your blood sugar. Or, or your cancer medication, right? Uh, something else you should probably take as recommended and not ration out because it might be detrimental to your health. So in the country where we like to advertise that the standard of living is one of the highest amongst the world. It just seems like these kind of drug shortages and like fucking baby formula shortages. It just, it's wild that all of this is happening in what we often hear described as like the most prosperous nation on the planet. Well, I mean, sometimes we do have good stories come out of here. Like, you know, somebody who beats cancer. Zig with the good news. 
interesting news because it's, it's also very American in a lot of different ways. That's very interesting. I mean, that's very American. Like, there's never, like, entirely. It's just interesting news. It's not necessarily good news at this point. So it's good news, and now it's interesting news because it's almost kind of bittersweet. Ah, uh, very so, American. As I touched on the uh, the one of one one ring being printed for magic, Yu-Gi-Oh said, "Hold my beer." And and one of the rarest cards. It is a one of one. And just for all of the people listening to just be like, well, I mean, what makes that rarer than all of the other one of one? If a card is a one of one, it is equally rare to any other one of one. Monetary value is determined by the market. Now I was gonna say it is rare in its unique identity, right? It, is it not- also has a story attached to it. Okay. So the card is called Tyler the Great Warrior, and it is a one of one card made as a result of a Make-A-Wish wish by a kid named Tyler when oh. he was 11 and he had a very, very rare form of, I think, liver cancer Oof. where they said it was like 200 total documented cases in the history of America. Damn. Damn. So, um, he gets this card. He so sees rare it. all around. Yeah. So he gets this card minted, he sees it, and he it's, it's a card of like myth and legend. Well, it's like nobody's ever seen it, but we all know that it exists. Well, flash forward. On April 19th, Tyler will be putting Tyler the Great Warrior up for open auction on eBay. He reportedly turned down private offers of $150,000 already. Mm. So I want to run down some numbers that I've made a Yu-Gi-Oh card weighs 1.6 grams. So to find the value of a any material relative to the weight of a Yu-Gi-Oh card, you take that material in grams and multiply it by 1.67. So if you take the weight of diamond in grams and multiply it by 1.67 to get the weight of a diamond relative to a Yu-Gi-Oh card, if it sells for more than $525,750, it will be worth more than its weight in diamond. And it far surpasses its weight in gold, plutonium, platinum, uranium, and rhino horn. And rhino horn? Really? Really rhino horn? So. This was a whole YouTube video was made by, I can't remember, it was like, it's like Cisco or something like that, a YouTuber, but it's like a documentary because Tyler went and he took the card to get graded, right? And this is the, this is one of the hilarious things about this. So the card was immediately printed and then put into a pressure vacuum case, right? Ooh, right. So they wasn't fucking around with this card at all, right? But when they came to get it graded, they noticed that the card actually wasn't centered anymore and it slanted. So that means over time, gravity took its toll, meaning the card was scraping against the pressurized case. Wow. So this card that never even got the chance to be sleeved, immediately put into a pressurized case, got a seven out of 10 on grading. So one of a kind, right off the printer card, seven out of 10. So this brings me into a different controversy. Uh, how do you feel about these card grading systems or like these collection grading systems as they exist currently? Because there's a uh, big debate brewing on the internet about the grading systems and whether 
when it's like two big ones now uh or there's like two there are two main ones i can't remember their names right Right. now Um, uh but they like during the pandemic they were getting overloaded with overloaded with orders right and uh a lot of people are suggesting that this whole grading thing has gotten out of hand i mean i even thought for not for very long but i thought about getting my uh my yawgmoth's will graded but then i wouldn't get to play with it anymore and a lot of people are like it's taking the true nature out of collecting you know as a hobby and it's turning it into just another profitable aspect another like we are monetizing another um hobby instead of so here's actually my- appreciating these collections and these rare items for what they're supposed to be appreciated right like so i will tell you as a lifelong card player i have no problem with the grading system because experts are going to know what makes a card pristine the market is what determines its value right so if i it's not going to an expert and saying this card is worth this much it's going to an expert and saying this card is this well maintained now if you want to list that card then you have to take it relative to all of the other gradings. That's all on the seller at that point. So, okay, so, but my, I guess my point is, is what is the inherent value of a judging body or an official body of judges grading your collection? Is it just purpose? Is it, it's like having it appraised for sale purposes, right? And does that not defeat the purpose of having a collection? All right, I mean, personally, if I had a Judge Foil Survival of the Fittest, I don't care that it's worth $1,400. I'm playing that motherfucker. So I guess that that also brings into question the definition of collecting. Like, what is your definition of collecting a thing? Because there are people who collect specific things based on their monetary value. I had a very similar situation. Remember, I sold a one-of-one myself. Right. The uh the Stanley Stan Lightning Bolt. Yeah. I I jokingly set the starting price at $51. $50 for the signature that I paid and $1 for the actual card, which is okay. what the card itself is worth. Okay. The card by I had no idea. Literally no fucking idea what to value this card at. Right. Well, I mean, we have literally done the math of what the card could be potentially be worth on this show. No, I'm talking about my lightning. Yeah, no, we did the we did the math on what the lightning could be like in one of the beginning. Like I want to say, like top the the first twenty episodes. I feel like we did the math on what that card would be worth. No, we did math on all of my other cards. Maybe the lightning bolt is specifically a very rare case because it's. I feel like we did the over-under on, like, what the I think we did the over-under, and I probably mentioned, but that card, I set a starting bid of $51, and it went for $600 to someone who doesn't even play Magic. Yeah, no, he bought the card for, like, his daughter. His daughter. Yeah. Um, So, but that doesn't answer my question. My question is, is do you think collecting for monetary value is less of an authentic way of collecting than somebody who just collects before the appreciation of a thing. That's actually where I wanted to bring it back to with my lightning bolt. I'll never forget owning it. I'll never forget having him sign it. 
and I'm gonna be like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I own this thing, you know, I have a picture of it, but you know, like, yeah. I'm satisfied knowing that I'm the one that got that one of one made and knowing that I had it for over a decade. Okay. So you're saying the monetary value of that card really didn't matter to you? Uh, it didn't matter until it did. <laughs> right. So It didn't matter until it did. And I feel like this is where Tyler is at because in the video, he's like, you know, I want to travel. I want to start a family. Well, so I'm saying, is that why the grading system matters? Because then when you want to set a monetary value for that collectible item, then you have an official platform for a jumping off price. You have another variable to consider when starting. Your it's like getting just a like everybody else has another variable to consider when buying. It's just getting a thing appraised, right? Like, or essentially it is setting a mark for appraisal for your collection. Right. If you want to get your collection appraised, then you go about by getting the items in your collection graded. So then you know what level to set an appraisal at. So right? when it comes to grading, there's almost no way that your card can be worth less after grading. The problem right. is, is getting your card sets graded a standard. worth the grading price? Because I mean, like getting a card graded can cost you know, a couple hundred dollars. Yeah, so you have to assume that the thing that you are seeking to have certified is worth getting certified, right? So you are now inherently putting a monetary value or a monetary speculation on your collection. So now, I will say when it comes to Tyler the Great Warrior. Okay. That card has to be perfectly preserved as much as possible. Right, because it's a one of one. Well, it's not a historical artifact. Yeah, I was going to say it's not just a one of one. The story behind it makes it a unique one of one. Like, say the Smithsonian opened a pop culture wing for the 2000s. I'm almost certain they have one with like a Game Boy in it. They Um, have Archie Bunker's chair. That would be the type of card the Smithsonian would display. Right. Um, But... As I'm, so I understand why he is putting the card up for sale. What he beat I, cancer, by the way. What I my, my running joke is uh, he's selling it because college loans are a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> but they are though. Uh, so I guess my point here is when it comes to these one of ones, right? Because as you were saying, like it is not the inherent monetary value that makes a card rare. Right. It is not the value of a card that makes it rare. It is the fact that it is a one of one. Yeah. Right. Um, do and you as think I said, any one of one is equally rare to any other one of one? What do you think is more important for a collection? The unique rarity of a one of one or the overall value of the collection itself? Basically, the monetary value versus the value you assign to it. Or just, I, I guess you could look at it from that perspective, or you could look at it as the completion of a collection, right? Because, like, you know, when I think about, like, real collectors, I think about people who have whole rooms dedicated to Nickelodeon merchandise. Yeah, yeah, and stuff like that. Or one of right? the Paul brothers. And what do you think they value more? The monetary 
the monetary value of their collection or the completion of their collection, right? Because we are talking about rare one of one. So some of those people might, you know, like the people who go I after pose, the I, You answered that question you just asked about Logan Paul and his Charizard. He doesn't care about the rarity of the Charizard. He cares about the flashy perspective, right? Like being able Which to, makes him care about the rarity of the Charizard. He wouldn't care about the rarity of the Charizard uh, if the Charizard wasn't worth 3.5 million, right? I don't, I don't think that. But, but I do think the person who spends hours on eBay searching for a lunchbox that was only released in 1985 or a, a cup that was only released during a Happy Meal promotion, right? Like, I think those people value their collections differently. And I don't think they care about a grading system the same way some of these magic players or baseball card collectors care about the grading system. I feel right? like it's almost a different kind of collectible because cards for the longest time have basically just been well, even, even with video games, right? Like video games are now hitting this point in the grading market where people are like searching. People are getting fucking GameCube games graded. Yeah, dude. And we're not even to the point where these games are worth what that fucking Mario sold for. And, you know, I think this is uh, this is great for us because, you know, we have a history of covering those kinds of auctions and stuff where just these absurd prices are put on these what fucking duck whistles are understandably little jade bowls <laughs> and sometimes are understandably real pieces of pop iconography right but also Logan Paul's Charizard is one or that mint condition Super Mario with the rare I would uh, put the rare the release Warrior right up there yeah. with like these are pieces like you know, Yu-Gi-Oh! is a niche community, but Tyler the Great Warrior is a legend of that community. Right, right. But also very a very niche legend of that community, the same way your uh, Stanley autographed lightning bolt. As a, a cross-niche community. Exactly. Um, so, one, you know, value, right? The inherent value of a thing. How is it determined? Well, let me get to the very, very root of it. This card is going to sell for more than... $525,750. The thing's going to be worth more than its weight in diamond. Once a monetary value has been assigned to it, which is going to be determined by the free market on eBay, it's going to be worth more than its weight in diamond. It could break seven digits. Well, I mean, I guess as you said, the free market will determine. Only time will tell. If you told me before I sold it, I would get an offer for $600, I would be shocked. Because remember, I even asked Mark Nestico about this and he's like, I have no idea where to start. I'd be surprised if you got like a hundred bucks. I can tell you that back in 2012, if you would have told me that in less than 10 years, no, I, I guess it's been more than 10 years that Vice Media would be a dying company, I would have been shocked. Uh, but as it holds now, Vice Media is maybe on its way out. Um, the company is seeking bankruptcy. <laughs> after uh, failing to meet marketed projections and is kind of in its death rolls at the moment. Uh, and we will get into that among more about the media bias and coverage because it's very important to talk about right now after this break. 
You take a sound, any sound, record it, and then change its nature by a multiplicity of operations. You record it at different speeds, you play it backwards, you add it to itself over and over again. You adjust filters, echoes, acoustic qualities. You combine segments of magnetic tape. By, by these means and many others, you can create sounds. Welcome back. Hey, you're not doctor. Doctor's on the clock. <laughs> Welcome back. So before we slid out, we were getting into uh, this whole <laughs> situation with Vice News. Vice Media, the new kid on the block as far as news media is concerned, uh, maybe on its way uh, packing up and off the block. Now, let's just remind people what Vice News has actually done. You remember the amazing coverage of the Charlottesville riot? That was Vice News. Um, Vice News has done some really notable things and it had some uh, very notable journalistic stories that yeah. they've produced, um, as well as some great online media content. Bring, it's like smart punk rock news. Which you would think would hold a lot more weight with today's millennials and Zoomers and their type of media perspective, right? But apparently the company did not see the projected growth numbers that it was looking for in the quarter and it, their <clears throat> shareholders are now pulling back and they may be seeking to file bankruptcy if they cannot find somebody to purchase the company. Um, the company did have a deal <clears throat> that they passed up on with Disney a couple of years back, I think in like 2016, for $3.5 billion. Billion? Um, yeah. Um, so that's how much the company was valued at then. But now, as I said, those numbers are slowly dwindling down. They fumble to, the bag worse than Dennis Schroeder. To the point where the uh, we might be seeing the last of Vice News. Now, I don't know if you watched... The any, last of Vice. <laughs> I don't know if you watched any of the uh, channel that did... And I feel like... But they produced some pretty interesting shows. That's like where Jesus got, and Mero! Yeah, that's where we got Jesus and Mero... Um, Wong's World, Action Bronson's Fuck That's Delicious, um, as well as Action Bronson and them watching Ancient Aliens. Yes. <laughs> but they also were uh, are very pivotal in reporting a lot of the LGBTQ news that is happening. They like their their reporters and journalists are very like. Good hawkish. journalists in counterculture. Yeah, yeah, hawkish with that counterculture news, especially in the coverage of a lot of the um, international uh, conflicts that are happening and One things like that. One of the like best that. QAnon pieces I read was from Vice. So, I do feel like that this loss is a bit of a shame, right? Because they were a decent counterweight, I feel like, to the Fox News and the CNNs and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, Vice News always came across to me as in-depth, honest journalism. Because these reporters <laughs> embedded themselves with some wild people. It did feel like indie journalism, right? Like, it it felt like independent journalism. Andrew Callahan taking his job more seriously. California is 
seeking to push a bill that might have helped prevent the downcline of vice or the decline excuse me of vice news um that would force social media companies to pay the journalist and the journalistic institutions that they get their news stories from which i think is tastefully ironic because one of the things that social media has built its user base on is providing news updates 52 percent of california's residents claim that they get their news through facebook and 49 percent of them say from google so with that being said i think it's very obvious that the truth is probably evident throughout the entire world <laughs> not just the united states and uh europe already has places in europe excuse me like spain and the uk already have like laws like this on the books so this isn't a new and wild idea but i do think it's going to have difficulty like finding ground here in the land of capitalism yeah <laughs> Which is actually funny because that leads us right into the main topic that I proposed to you earlier this week. And <clears throat> honestly, so I was watching The Daily Show and The Daily Show, Trevor Noah left uh, about two months ago. So they've been having rotating guest hosts every single week. And I noticed that there's actually a continuing trend with the structure and the theme of the show that the production team themselves is maintaining. Like, they would bring on controversial guests like Lindsey Graham when right. Al Franken was hosting <clears> the show, <throat> Kevin O'Leary on when Hassan Minaj was hosting the show. So I feel like that is a archetype that, or maybe not an archetype, but I feel like that is a theme that Trevor established while he was host. Like, I agree. Um, if you remember, he has interviewed some of like the, not far right, but some of the rights, like, uh, uh, what the fuck is her name? Uh, Tommy Laren. Yeah, Tommy Laren was Allegedly took one. her out on a date, too. <laughs> Are you mad, though? <laughs> No, <laughs> I do feel like you know they're just Trevor's just going just just stop talking just stop talking. <laughs> I feel like they are maintaining the new standard that Trevor has pushed forward, and I feel like you know John wasn't somebody either who was afraid to have controversial guests on the show. So I, John you know, was John would poke the bear more. I feel like, you know, in, if we are analyzing Trevor's legacy as host now that he has stepped down, I do think that he, his approach was a bit more composed in the sense of trying to find a middle ground, whereas John was more about pointing out the absurdity. And the hypocrisy. Yeah. I think Trevor did a decent job of calling out the hypocrisy as well, but Trevor was good at bridging the gap, you know, and yeah. John, John was there to represent and call out the absurdity of it all. The great thing about it is they have kept the long form interviews. You can watch the full thing on YouTube and they're like 20 to 30 minutes each yeah. and they've kept the non-controversial, non-aggressive questioning, but still probing and not letting somebody drop on a point. And Hassan Minaj specifically did that with Kevin O'Leary. I think Hassan's guest 
period was guest hosting period was probably my favorite guest hosting period. Me I too. I think his approach at being a host, um, his his rapid fire delivery, the, he's the on way, some kind of upper. Yeah, no, you know you said it best when you said he, he does the, the perfect, perfect amount, amount of cocaine. That's <laughs> <laughs> you could, which is absolutely on display during that Kevin O'Leary interview, yeah. right? I do think that his approach First of to all, hosting how you do it. It is very engaging and it is very intense, right? Like, so you are on edge the entire time you're watching him deliver. And his delivery is very rapid fire in a way that I think is perfect for those kind of like controversial interviews. I also Um, think the Daily Show production team is putting a lot of faith in the host where perfect example is the Hassan thing where he would follow back up on a question. I don't feel like the production team gives them a list of questions that they just have to bullet point down. I feel like they're like, look, these are the talking points. You worked under John and Trevor. You know how this works. Do the thing. You could see it in Hassan. I mean, Al Franken, it's not a shock. Marlon, Marlon definitely brought the comedian energy. I didn't watch Sarah Silverman because I despise her. Uh, yeah, no, I, yeah. Wanda always kills it. Wanda right. Sykes always, always kills it. Always. Marlins was great. Like, you know, I feel like Marlon definitely. It was very Marlon way. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, but he could host a talk show of some sort, right? Like, I couldn't I, see Marlon do it the Daily Show full time, but it was fun having it for a week. I could see Marlon doing like the soup or something like yeah, that. And yeah. like Joel McHale stands will probably push back on that a little bit. But I do, uh, I did really enjoy Al Franken's guest hosting, right? Because it was very reminiscent of the original host of the Daily Show, um, Craig. Kill- yeah and it did feel like this is what the daily show would be like if a boomer hosted it (laughs) and the cool thing is is watching that whole uncut interview because i mean like al and Lindsay worked together in the u.s senate yeah um uh, but But, what i was going to say before you get uh, further into that is can you imagine Lindsey graham being interviewed by (laughs) hassan minaj Right? Oh my god. Yeah. No, there's no way Lindsey Graham would have slid on some of the things that Al Franken was willing to let him slide on because of, you know, respectability politics and things of that nature. Generational, the same generation and shit like that. And it's the, you know, uh, that co-worker like thing, right? Like, you, you still carry a bit of that. Like, even you can tell, like, together. those two were friendly, at least yeah. when they worked together. Like, Al said, uh, People ask him who was the funniest member right. of the Senate, it's and Lindsay he said, Graham. Lindsay Graham. Lindsay, you asked me during the break what I, I'm doing, and part of what I've been doing is uh, uh, the only former U.S. Senator currently on tour, tour. <laughs> and uh, when the audiences ask me, they say, who, who is the funniest U.S. Senator while you're there? And I always say, Lindsey Graham, and they always hate it because yeah. they're my crowd. <laughs> and then I tell them this. When you were running for president in 16... And Y'all remember that? Yeah, I remember he had... <laughs> you were the only you, ones. You were like 2% at one point. Yeah, that was... I peaked. You, <laughs> <laughs> so, one day I go, I go in the Senate bathroom and I turn to you and I say, Lindsay, if I were a Republican, I'd vote for you for president. And you said... That's my problem. <laughs> 
And I mean, Lindsay was able to keep up with Al because I feel like Al was trying to, you know, match decorum and everything like that. Yeah, but and I, I mean, don't think Hassan would have given a fuck about that, right? Like the coke would have told Hassan to go cocaine bear on. <laughs> but I was going to say, like the Al Frank and Lindsey Graham interview, it actually, for starters, they talked about collaborating on bills that just aren't like sexy. They just don't get the attention. And no. they're like, yeah, no, like they actually would collaborate on, you know, things for, you know, like veteran affairs or banning TikTok. Or <laughs> it's like, I don't think Al Franken is with the banning TikTok. But, you know, we only hear about these like votes that are like, you know, 59, 41, yes. dead set locked. And I mean, right. There are a lot of bills that go through Congress. I'm yes. sure there are some that pass. A lot like, of bills that go through Congress, right? But of like, course. Like, an ob like here's a simple one. Like, um, here, a new law requiring people to stop when a school bus stops. Right. Um, like, like, those are the types of bills that Congress still has to vote on. I guess that kind of gets to the point of our end discussion here is, is there an issue with the way the daily show presents news though right because we do have a situation we're being faced with with social media and its presentation of news and these satirical news programs the where... way that you phrase that is there a problem with the daily show no there is I... not a problem with the Daily Show. Look at look at how mad he got. No, I said, is there a problem with the way the Daily Show presents news? No. Because now we have a situation where people require being entertained in order to absorb news. As you said, there are bills that is it get effective. That's a different. That's a different question. There are bills that get passed all the time. But those don't make headlines because they're not sexy. They're not salacious. They're not entertaining. Yeah, Congress People gets want, bills for shit like, should hospitals have wheelchair accessible ramps? Should you yeah. end child marriage? Uh, that was a bill that was a big one here that was being pushed by the uh, newest local representative in Annapolis, Sarah Elthworth, right? And she, uh, I, I don't know if she mained the bill, but it was one of her like uh campaigning things where you know they ended child marriage in maryland which was still technically legal with parental permission up to like age 15 i think uh side note japan raised their age of consent from 13 to 15. even that can make a headline that captures audience appeal we find ourselves faced now with a situation where like if the news isn't made enticing people don't care about it people don't read it if it doesn't pop up on their facebook feed or if it doesn't show up on their google uh updates and things like let's that. let's go back to vice if the best pieces that vice did were extremely captivating right but vice and vice had a whole ass channel where they were trying to be entertaining but they couldn't maintain entertaining enough in order to make the captivating news that they were actually known for. So, here's the catch-22. Yeah, have. yeah it is. With that being said, I, I don't, I personally don't have a problem with the way that The Daily Show presents news, right? But The Daily Show is also very clear in its presentation being satire. The, uh, and farcical. A lot of these interviews actually haven't been I mean, yes. The interviews themselves are not, but the show itself is, right? I'm going to push back on that a little bit. So when Hassan Minaj interviewed Giannis Antetokounmpo. Right. 
he was like, Kudos right. on getting that name out without fumbling through it. Giannis Antetokounmpo, it's not hard yeah. at all. Oh, my man said, uh, I can do it twice. I can do it thrice if you ask me. I'm not. Keep going. He was like, look, I know you don't trash talk. So, right. and then the next right. day, Skip Bayless on Undisputed pulls that clip and he's just like, he shouldn't do that. Like Kevin Durant, he's basically saying that he shouldn't do that because Kevin Durant was like mentally weak as a superstar already and you take it easy on him. Hassan goes on the next night. Goes on The Daily Show. show the next night. The next night and talks about how Skip is the problem with media. Taking something completely out of context. And you know how like Obama on uh, Key and Peele had the Obama anger translator? I was like, I need to be your talk shit translator. So, so, he's just so humble, he can't do it. So we load up shit talk in the prompters. And I go, look, I know comedy's not your shit. Go to this camera right here, read it. You know, and he's just like, hey, LeBron, you know, and he's doing his whole thing. Hey, LeBron, you know, and then he couldn't even get through it. He's like, I'm sorry, LeBron, I love you, LeBron, LeBron. Like, LeBron, I love you, I love you, I love my family, I love my mother. Like, he could not do it. He could not talk shit for two seconds. He's a better Muslim than me. He's not even Muslim, you know what I mean? And one of the lines, one of the lines he said was, inadvertently, he got through this line that I wrote for him, and he's like, KD, let's work out together so I can finally teach you to be strong enough to carry your own team. <laughs> oh no, no, why did I say that? No, it was so adorable. Oh, KD, no, I love you, KD. Where's the camera? Where's the camera? KD, yeah. you're one of the best scorers to ever play this game. I respect your game. You know, uh, you've lead by example for 15 years. So you were I my hate this. You were my I favorite this. player growing up. I hate this. And Entertain me. I respect your game. But then Skip Bayless, this morning, just ripped out that little clip of Giannis going to camera and being like, KD, you need to get stronger so you can carry a team on your back. And then Skip's dumbass is like, see, that is so mean to Kevin Durant. Because we all know he has thin skin. I'm like, wait a second, Skip. Are you trying to big up Kevin Durant by talking shit about Kevin Durant? <laughs> We should be nicer to Kevin Durant because he's clearly a pansy who can't handle it. Like, what are you saying? <laughs> and, and that's the thing. I'm only on day two of, you know, doing this guest hosting thing, and that's the vexing thing I hate about being a part of the media. It's this clickbait, Instagram reels, TikTok media grift of like, oh, if I just snap out the right amount, oh, baby, I can ride the wave. <laughs> Like, while you're on the train to work, I can get you mad. Like, oh, I can, ooh, feed that algorithm. Lord Algo, right? <laughs> and the shitty part is, is Skip is perpetuating the very same reason why professional athletes don't go on any of these shows. You know what I mean? They've created a dynamic where you gotta go full Darth Maul in order to be a former athlete that does media. You gotta go full Draymond Green, Kendrick Perkins, to camera, I'll be like, I'll kick you in the nuts. And the producers are like, yeah, more, do more of that. Or be a normal person, right? That's why all the athletes are like, you know, I'm just gonna just keep doing my thing and just completely ignore you guys. I don't know what to do, you know? Which is the problem with a satirical news show. 
because it is very susceptible to being taken out of context. Do you know how many people thought the Colbert Report was a serious counterweight to the progressive left-leaning Daily Show? An unfortunately high amount. <laughs> That's the point, right? They didn't understand that Stephen Colbert's Colbert Report was even more of a satire and a farce than The Daily Show was. And right? The Daily Show, at this point, even blatantly pointed it out in a skit they did with Al Franken and Desi Lydak. Oh, yeah, you love this piece, right? So the, in this segment... Uh, Desi and Al Franken are discussing the future of the American, like, actual climate, not just the cultural climate, right, but, like, the climate because the new um, climate report that came out is, it's, it's as dark as they always are. I've been going to doctors for six years. On our current path, we're in for a grim future. And find out just how grim. Let's go to the future to talk to Desi Lydic. Hi, Al. Yes, I am reporting from the year 2075. Can you believe it? This space is 93. Take that, Paul Rudd. Desi, I'm afraid to ask, but how is the climate crisis going 60 years from now? Climate crisis. Oh, we saw that years ago. Look, the entire world looks like a Lisa Frank folder. <laughs> well, hold on, we, we, we fixed climate change? How, how, did, how did that happen? Uh, well, it started when the UN issued its report on March 20th, 2023, <laughs> warning that we had to radically reduce carbon emissions by 2040. So we read the report and we made all the changes and saved the world. <laughs> Back to you, Al. Wait. Wait, Desi, you're talking about the report from yesterday. Yeah, yeah. It laid out exactly what we needed to do, so everyone just came together and did it. <laughs> Why wouldn't we? Well, what, wasn't doing all that really expensive? Oh, yeah, definitely was. But the alternative was the destruction of the planet. So, of course, we just spent the money, obviously. <laughs> Back to you, Al. I, I can't believe it. Everything sounds so great in the future. Oh, it sure is. <laughs> oh, hi, little guy. A grassland sparrow? I thought those were going extinct. Oh, they were, but we turned it around. We reforested the Amazon. <laughs> We got all the plastic out of the ocean and upcycled it into friendship bracelets that we all wear unironically. <laughs> Plus, all the children in the world joined hands and sang in a harmony so beautiful it ended war forever. Wow, holy crap. Really, all that happened? Oh my god, no! You dumb dumb! I'm being sarcastic. You think that for some reason we're going to suddenly start listening to UN climate reports? No. Al, I'm not from the future. This is all fake. I am literally in the same room as you right now. <laughs> oh. I... 
I'm so, I'm so stupid. I, 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 did, I just didn't realize that. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but we're just going to keep on driving forward expeditions and burning fossil fuels until the ocean swallows us whole. Oh, well, I guess you're right, Desi, and, you know, that's our, our satirical point. <laughs> if only satire had the power to change the future for the better. Well, Al, I mean, the good news is there's still a chance that our sharp-witted satire will inspire people to make the necessary changes to save our planet. Wow, really? <laughs> no! Oh, my God! I'm being sarcastic! Jesus Christ, were you really a senator? <laughs> yes. Yes, I, w I was. Desi Lydic, everyone. We've done absolutely nothing. And the point of the segment was we've done absolutely nothing. But you love the segment because... Because at the very end, they're just like, no, are you a real senator? Are you dumb? They're just like, you were a senator? Really? <laughs> like, but that's the... Okay, so to the point of bringing this whole thing up. The thing I love about that skit is how blunt it is. Well, yeah, because to the point of the discussion we're having, the whole reason that we are discussing uh, The Daily Show, along with like the decline of Vice News and uh, that build that would you know, seek to have social media. We haven't media. even talked about the Fox News leaked texts. Yeah. With Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, and Tucker Carlson all have a group chat just shitting on Trump. Right. And not just shitting on Trump, but also, like, admitting openly amongst colleagues that they were lying about January 6th and, and the election. Right? Um, so, here we go, right, where you have a satirical news show having more journalistic integrity than an actual news show. Right. Yep. And a lot of people think that one of the biggest uh, problems with the news cycle now or news media now is the 24 hour cycle. Right. And how it takes the weight out of a journalist being able to actually do real enticing journalistic work because they have to do fluff pieces or stories on sleepy chicken or. They have them doing the talking head thing like it's fucking Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith well, talking about, you know, war and gas prices. And at least, like, you know, Max Kellerman and Stephen A. Smith have actual, like, sports journalist backgrounds, right? Like, a lot of these talking heads, like Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram, like, I they don't saw them have bring journalistic... on that they said, this person from the black sphere... They don't have journalistic backgrounds. They are literally the just talking The black sphere, by the way, literally means a random black guy. They are literally just talking heads. They are random people. They are not journalists, and right? They're not even musical and, quality and, like the band talking And heads. neither is anybody from The Daily Show, right? Al Franken is the closest you get to somebody with actual political integrity, or not integrity, but political experience, and he's just a guest host. Trevor Noah- writers have incredible- Yeah. The writer's room, um, however, you know, do go out of their way 
to have journalistic integrity. But my point is, is when we made the made the monster that is <laughs> news entertainment, right? The 24 hour news cycle. We put, the WWE of news. We put ourselves into a paradox of maintaining this mashup of making news entertaining for people and by the way follow us at the flood pot on everything that's on everything how do you balance being informed with being entertained um and you know people like bill and i the science guy have done a great job at showing this Tyson um has tried I feel like The Daily Show is a good example, but I feel like it also creates problems, right? Because it does set itself up to be taken out of context, as you proved earlier, right? Um, And the problem with being entertained and informed at the same time is you will clearly miss context of things. Um, Oh, we would get skewered if people took this shit out of context. uh, Well, I mean, like, look at Joe Rogan, right? Like, those people think that they're being informed and entertained at the same time. Like, that's so, like, you know, there are counterweights to The Daily Show. Like, you have Louder with Crowder uh, Crowder and, like, almost the entire Barstool Network lineup. (laughs) You have, um, uh, what is it, Gutfeld on Fox News. You have... The highest rated late night talk show. There are people who think Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram are funny. Those people clearly have brain tumors. Uh, they probably also think Tucker Carlson is a himbo. Um, there are people who thought Alex Jones was entertaining, right? Um, okay, he is entertaining. You just cannot take him seriously at all. Right, right. Um, like, I would listen to Alex Jones and I'm like, this guy is so full of shit, but this is hilarious to watch. And that doesn't even get into, like, the right-wing sphere that inter- exists on, like, YouTube. Alex Jones like to me that. is like the the anti Colbert. <laughs> He's yeah, the actual thing that the conservatives were looking for. Yeah. But that's the but that's the issue, right? Like when you look at that counterweight, then you see the problem with news being too caught up in being entertaining, right? Because Alex Jones is entertaining. And if you start taking what he says with more seriousness, and then it should actually be applied when watching anything Alex Jones does, then you come into a realm where people are easily slide into, like, how far of a slope is it from Alex Jones into QAnon? I feel like Alex Jones should have had, like, all Alex Jones listeners should have had, like, you know how people are like, you're my rock, you know, in the tide, I hold on to you, and you just keep oh me God. grounded? I feel like everybody that watches Alex Jones should know that all of it is ridiculous the moment he said the frogs are gonna turn gay. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Do you understand that? And like, like watching Alex Jones, I'm like, he's making a really good point. You just hold on to the idea. He also said the frogs are gay. Yeah. So, (laughs) but how do we not do that with The Daily Show though? At what point do we stop taking The Daily Show seriously? I think the bigger problem is knowing when to take it seriously. Mm. Hmm. It's a very interesting way to uh, to twist that. Um, I think this California bill will definitely help serious journalism make a rise again, uh, because as always over in Europe, where things like this are already established, it has shown an increase in 
the journalistic industry or an increase of like profit and sustainability in the journal and it's also something that i'm surprised isn't already a fucking thing like it's wild to me that yes so like twitter and facebook can get away with posting links to these websites and not have to like and, and have people be able to read the stories on their website and not pay a profit for that i mean yeah the fact that they don't have to share profit with the media outlets that they are sourcing their news from is is wild to me right actually like, a lot of the times those companies have to pay the social media the, outlet to promote the article yeah, yeah it's like crazy how these social media networks have been like geeing off with all of this shit and just completely ruining like the journalistic industry as we know it right like i countless newspapers have gone out of business since uh facebook has decided it wants to be where you get your news from and you know what the funny thing is about the daily show is the only way to make effective satire is by being informed <sighs> so Speaking of informed, uh, finishing out today's show, uh, we've got some new information on that Kendrick Lamar South Park collab. It is not going to be a construction paper cutout re remake of the damn cover, right? Um, <laughs> it, it's actually going to be a IRL, a real life movie um, where a intern working at a slave reenactment finds out his white girlfriend parents were slave owners um did they own his family his Doesn't ancestors own his family yeah um so that's a weird fucking if, yeah if i can that's explain that a little bit better the details of that we are now getting of the movie because the, like the detail they've been like pretty like tucked tight with um what exactly it is the project that they're working on but it is a movie where a guy who is interning for a part as a slave in a slave reenactment company that i guess at some like museum or some shit like that finds out that his white girlfriend because he's in an interracial relationship had ancestors that owned slaves that I guess were his ancestors yeah. and um so it's get out without the spooky shit yeah it's, <laughs> it's funny get out is it is is it funny Kendrick is this funny I it's mean it's a weird collab I mean clearly if this is so if Kendrick signed on Trey and Matt must have come with a really good script uh so you think it was them that came up with the idea because I almost feel like this is something Kendrick came up with and he was like the only people who could help me do something this Our absurd Trey and Matt? yeah yeah I do feel like they should just just that does sound very Kendrick that's uh, a balance they should get Aaron Magruder because I feel like this is something that he would love to be oh a part of. Oh my lord, yes. I'm interested. You've you've piqued my interest. Uh this does sound like it could go horribly wrong. Oh yeah. Or or it could be a masterpiece. A brilliant piece of satire. Like the Book of Mormon, right? So Dum 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 dum. They were able to do great things with their partnership for the Heart Part 5 uh, with that video. Um, that was partnered with Trey and Matt? Yeah, uh, that was their animation studio that they've used to develop their deep fake technology. Cause they, the Heart Part 5 video is amazing. So they've worked together previously on projects. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm also anticipated to see this in 
considering the fact that they are also in the middle of that huge ass lawsuit with HBO Max, right? So all of that money that they <laughs> were getting from the Paramount Plus deal <laughs> seems like it might have been, you know, used for projects like this. So I saw this posted in UAL, Urban Anime Lounge. We are we are both big fans of that anime group. Shout out to the Urban Anime Lounge on Facebook. Uh, I, I hope they have a couple of fans in the Urban Anime Lounge. I, I hope so. But there, uh, Falcon is your brother is. Hey, there's hey, two. Right. <laughs> your mom loves us. So, I bet your mom loves your us. Your mom does love us. She loves me specifically. Yeah. Real pushback on this like one of the comments i remember was like there's more to black people than slavery yeah um and interracial relationships yeah as listeners of the show know i am not a fan of the repetitive nature of slave narratives that is prevalent in fucking our pop iconography it just seems as of the last like 20 years that's all black people can really do and be you know black panther or blade is that's not 20 years though blade (laughs) three yeah which apparently was such so hard to make that we will never we didn't get another black superhero movie until fucking black panther right i don't know um i that's that's where I'm at. I'm on the fence about this. I can understand where black people would just be like, uh, Kendrick, really? <laughs> like I said, it's get out without the spooky shit. The fact that it's Kendrick tied to it, I think is the thing that really makes it wild. Yeah, and I'm just interested in seeing like what kind of, is Kendrick going to be the in, in the movie or is it just like him writing the script or is he going to pin the soundtrack for it? Like what involvement if does Kendrick, Kendrick wrote have? wrote the script, he's going to put Aaron Sorkin to shame. Because um, he does have that whole uh, PG Lang production company, right? So is this like a PG Lang uh, South Park Studios project, uh, right? So I'm interested in finding out more details. Who's going to be in the movie? Yeah, what what is the tone of the movie? Is this going to be like a fucking Wes Anderson project? I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. Produced um, by Ridley Scott. I can tell you that a slave narrative is is not anything groundbreaking um i don't think the overall idea is that groundbreaking but i think you know maybe there's something that kendrick and matt and trey can do that isn't normal and with that being said that's just another reminder that none of none of this is normal normal, but but... what should be normal is buying all of your Yu-Gi-Oh, pokemon magic the gathering flesh and blood board games Card game supplies at tokenmtg.com and using the promo code Ziggy to get 10% off of your order. And don't forget to follow us at the Flood Pod on everything. And, and that is on, on everything. Thank you for joining us, and you can catch us again next week. This is. Look, it's a flood. It's a flood. It's flooding. Get away. Quick, we need to get to higher ground. Open the floodgates. It is time to